everyone. Today's scripture is 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, It is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Ellie. Again, good morning. All right, thank you. Good morning. All right. Still Dave, still stutter, um, and, and, and still glad to, to be here together. You know, sometimes things are not what you expected them to be. My wife and I like to watch Broadway shows sometimes. We don't get a chance to do it that often, but when we do, it's fun. We make a big deal out of it when our now 15-year-old triplets were like two years old. A group of college students that we worked with all kind of teamed up. In fact, I think Keith and Desiree might have been a part of, not yet married, but a part of the crew that uh, actually watched our kids overnight so we could go to San Francisco and watch, watch a show and uh, we watched Wicked. How many of you know the show Wicked, the Broadway show Wicked? Well, it was great. My wife grew up loving the Wizard of Oz. If you're not familiar with Wicked, it's, it's a, again, a Broadway musical looking at through the lens of the Wicked Witch of the West and the whole story kind of before the story. And it's really fun. It's pretty lighthearted, lots of singing, and it's just a, a good time. Overall, good Good feeling. And uh, so we thought, oh, that was so cool. There's a book out um, called Wicked. And it's where I see some heads shaking back and forth. Yeah, we were like, let's read the book. You know, it was a cool play, a cool show. Let's, let's see what this book's all about. And it didn't take long to realize that what we had expected was something very different. The book is really graphic, really dark. And uh, a lot of different themes and messages in there, not at all like the Broadway musical, not at all like the, uh, like the, like the Wizard of Oz. It was just kind of a whole different thing all together. Well, that's true for all of us. You might not be thinking about wicked, but something else where you had an expectation and you've kind of built an image in your mind of what something is like. And then over time, you discover this is not, not accurate. Well, let me pause for a moment as we get into our time together. When I say David and Bathsheba, what comes to mind? It's likely similar to what our broader culture presents in this story. Even that title we'll, we'll, we'll press into in a bit this morning, David and Bathsheba. Well, in 1951, a movie was made. Um, that was a little bit before I was born, but, but I've, I looked it up and discovered, and many have been made since then, but this one in particular, 
particular had a famous actor, Gregory Peck, and it was this like love, romance, impassioned love where there's 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 commitment and devotion and and then and then struggle and and trial and it's completely unbiblical. So it's probably a neat, entertaining movie, but it's not the Bible. And similarly, there's a song. Maybe some of you have heard the song that came out in 1984. I was born then by Leonard Cohen. Hallelujah. Right? And I looked, if you look, it's a hallelujah, hallelujah. That's like the one song I could probably sing. Like the more you smoke and drink whiskey, probably the better you sound or the more you sound like <laughs> Leonard Cohen. Um, and, and anyway, the song now, m- many of you are probably going to hear that over and over in your head now all week. You're welcome. No, there are worse things that you could be thinking about, right, than the word hallelujah. But in that, I've never noticed that. There's a brief line where Leonard Cohen is singing, and he talks about Bathsheba and David. And basically the message that he gives is that David is faithfully following the following God and he's he's doing his best and he's he's seeking to be faithful. And then all of a sudden this beautiful seductress comes in and trips him up and he stumbles, right? We use that word even in our days. He stumbles and then he continues on, you know, once he kind of overcomes that. And it's this and again, completely unbiblical. In fact, uh, the title for this sermon today is David's Sin Against Bathsheba. Or if you want to even press into it more, it, it's, it's David's destructive sin against Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. It, that's the reality of what we're looking at together today in these passages in chapter 11 and 12 of, of, of 2 Samuel. We're, we're walking through a story that, again, many of us have a picture and an image that comes to mind, and I want us to kind of pull back and, and dig in a little more deeply. And, and um, I, I want to say on the front end, before I pray, I want to give a, a little bit of a, a warning that this is a really heavy subject that we're looking at this morning. And as we talk about some things like sexual assault. Um, I, I want to acknowledge that for some of us that might be triggering, might be very painful and difficult. My hope and my and my confidence is that this is a is a safe place that 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 lots of prayer has gone into and is going into this conversation and that and that my my again my hope is that 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 this might even begin or continue a path of, of hope and of, of on some level healing and, um, and, and, and ultimately somehow the good news of God, of what it looks like to be his people will inform and shape this, this um, what so often remains in the shadows. And so um, with that, uh, go ahead and turn with me. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be in um, 2 Samuel Again, chapter 11 and 12. If you don't have a Bible with you and you want one to follow along, which I would encourage, please hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one. And also, if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una 
idea, eso es un regalo a usted. So again, this is our gift to you. And I also want to say that I'm going to do my best here, but we're covering a, a huge, important, weighty section. And, and uh, I, don't, I try not to kind of tap into the going too long too often, but this, um, we're going to take our time a bit this morning, okay? So uh, if you absolutely have to go to the bathroom, go for it. Um, self, self-room. Regulate, but we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna dig in here. Okay, so let's let's pray together. Father in in heaven, we ask for you to speak to us this morning, Lord. I I feel a weight and and a hope. Um, I also feel an honor and a privilege to 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 shepherd, Lord, to care for your precious children, um, myself in. Included my own family. Thank you that that you see us, you know us, um, Lord. I pray for good news. I pray for your power and your love and your care to prevail. And so we ask that by your Holy Spirit you will oversee our time together this morning as we come together uh, at your feet. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, let's pick up together here. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. And I'll just kind of read and explain a bit as, as we go. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So go... Go ahead and um, throw up there. I think we have a p- picture and in, in, in an image of what we're what we're. Um, is there a picture? Did we get that up there? Here you go. This is a, a p- painting that just. I, I love the way this portrays what's actually happening here. That that while David's commanders, his military, in his name, under God's name, but sent out under David's authority and his rule, are out in war and in battle, and they're, they're struggling and they're fighting for God's glory and for his promise to bless the earth. And we could get into some other time this, into how's that happening through war and through conflict. That's an, a good question, important conversation, but I'm just assuming that that's the case, okay? That, 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 that God is, is bringing about his plan in the world for his people to be blessed in order to be a blessing and to establish what it looks like for God to rule and reign over all people. And so this is a religious, a spiritual act. War was viewed that way. And David, right, we get two hints here in just one verse that the narrator says, in the time when kings would be out with their military. And then at the last part of the verse, right, it says, David remained at Jerusalem. He, while his people are out in battle, risking their lives, David is considering how best to kill time. He's wandering. He's looking around. He's not being faithful. Okay, and just in that first verse, we get a picture 
of that. And so um, I'll, I'll, I want us to just acknowledge right here again, he has all authority. And, and this will be important in a moment, but he's at the place. It's also said multiple times here that he's at the place of highest view. Okay, he's in the, the, the crow's nest, or sometimes we use the ivory tower, all right? He sees everything that is under his control and his reign. And in this time, and according to God's commission to King David, he has a, he has absolute authority over the land. He has all power and authority. And, and, and I want to acknowledge that, that in our day, sometimes authority is viewed as inherently evil or, or, or bad. That is not true in scripture. Uh, authority and power can be good, but w- what it's used for is often really destructive. That, that David is king, but, and right, if you even remember the whole title over this entire, entire series that we're in, First and Second Samuel, and we're looking at Saul, and the people are declaring, we want a king, and the, the big idea is that, is that God is king. And David is the king that God has now called to be the king because he should understand that ultimately God is king, and David is his under king with a lowercase k. Yes, he has all authority in the land, but his authority, as is always the case in Scripture, is meant to be used for the good of others. Okay, just even consider with me, does God ever give blessing or authority that's not in some way meant to bless others? If it's just for selfish gain, if it's just for, this is going to prop me up, I've got this Status. I've, I've worked my way up to this place and, and now my authority is meant to, to prop me up and to, and to end with my blessing. It's not from God. Again, it's not inherently evil in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2. We see that, that, that he who has the most power of all, Jesus. It's not a bad thing, right? Power is not inherently bad. But what happens with it? Jesus gives it up. He uses his power to get low, to come under, to serve, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then God raises him and exalts him. And that's the picture of what we are called to. And so in David, we see a gross picture. When God is not king, power is abused and people suffer. So continue with me in verse And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch. Okay, again, late one afternoon, right? I love a good nap. I don't know if I'm alone here, but again, this is this theme here for David. It's late one afternoon. Everyone else is out in in war when kings should be out at war. He's hanging out. He's taking naps. He's waking up in the afternoon. um, And, uh, you know, probably that disorienting time when you're like, is it morning? Is it not? What's going on right now? Well, David wakes up, right? Again, these, these hints are in there. He was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof. Again, hints there. He's at the highest point. He could overlook everything. And he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And pause there for a moment. What comes to mind for us? What, what do you imagine? What narratives, what stories have you and I heard with this Bathsheba as it's presented in all the movies and the songs that I mentioned, the Hallelujah song? It's, it's, it's this kind of seductive, it's like a shampoo 
commercial, right? If you're, it's that kind of scene. And, and David, like, how could he, you know, he's got needs. He's got, like, how can you blame him? Well, again, that is not the story of scripture. Okay, people lived life on the roof of their homes. There's no indoor plumbing. Um, if you're maybe stuck on that picture of what we've been kind of planted in our minds of Bathsheba bathing, I, I think he very well could have looked in the other direction and seen an old man going number two. Okay, so now, there, you have that image now too. Like, I think it's important for us to, to press in that, that deeply because we have such a distorted, I would say, really harmful idea as we'll see in a moment, Bathsheba has no authority. She has no voice. She's wounded. She doesn't need to be forgiven. You don't need to be forgiven for being wounded. There, so on, on, there's, again, there's this picture of at the very far end of of this seductress who tripped up David. That's completely inaccurate. Then maybe a little bit or over, there's this idea of it's a romantic love affair. It's adultery. And no, you need, you need two willing participants for that. Adultery is a sin, and David is committing adultery. He's committed lots of adultery. He has multiple wives and, 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 and concubines, and, and, and he commits adultery because he... he he, he pursues Bathsheba, but I don't believe she does at all. And we'll see that as we continue on. And, and so if there's a spectrum that has like romantic love affair, seduction, adultery, sexual assault, uh, I believe this is far, far closer to sexual assault than any of the others. And, and, and um, let's, let's continue here to, to read. And by the way, we're going to spend the bulk of our time or about half our time in these verses, in the first five verses, and then we'll cover the next 45 for, from there. But continue to read with me now in, uh, in we're in verse three, right? And, um, and David sent... That word sent comes up lots of times. I'll mention it for my, again, it, there's an authority there. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh, in, in verse 3 there, right, David sent. He's the initiator. He's the pursuer. He has all authority. When the king sends, you don't really get an option. Okay, as I mentioned, I believe this is much, much closer to sexual uh, assault. That language is not explicitly used here. The word Taken is used, and I think we'll even see later that's a, that's a word of, of an abuse of power. Um, but that, that the language of sexual assault isn't used here. And in the same way, if David saw that someone had wealth, financial wealth or cattle or whatever, and, and he took it for himself, the, they wouldn't, the word wouldn't be used that he, he stole. 
Because again, the understanding is, well, he's the king. It all belongs to him. He can be a good king or a bad king. He can use his authority for God's glory and the good of others as he's called to do, or he can use it for selfish gain. But the language wouldn't be used of stealing. But that doesn't mean it's any less horrible. Okay, and, and then also you see here in verse 3 that, that, that an unnamed person, I believe, though, though passively, gives caution, gives warning. Right, David sent and inquired, and this unnamed person, a servant, right? We don't even know the name, gave a warning. This is Bathsheba. She's a person. She has a name. She has a husband. She has relationships. She's the daughter of Eliam. David is blind to it. Blows right through this caution and continues and says, send her to me. And he lay with her. He, again, I believe this is, this is abuse. And even in there, this will come up again in a, in a little bit later, but even the narrator, I think, creatively puts this contrast, this juxtaposition in there that Bathsheba is purifying herself from her monthly menstrual cycle at that time to, to be able to worship um, God in the tabernacle, you, you would need to, to go through room, ritual cleanness. So faithfulness in worship is on her mind, not David's. Okay, again, so hopefully we, we see this, 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 this picture here of what's actually going on. And let me, let me pause for a moment, though briefly, before we continue. I want to acknowledge that this is weighty and heavy, that statistically, one in four women experiences sexual assault or sexual abuse in some form. And the, the, one of the many people I talked to throughout the last couple of weeks to, to kind of help shape this, she has her PhD and specifically works as, a, as an expert witness often and, and with regarding sexual trauma and sexual assault. And, and she um, shared that that's not, that's not sexual harassment, things like that, that, that one in four that Statistic is 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 some form of, of 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 overt action with sexual abuse or sexual assault and and uh, and then also one in twelve or potentially one in six and I know that's a pretty big discrepancy but um, one in twelve or even one in six men depending on uh, there are a lot of variables with that but um, have also experienced sexual assault or sexual abuse and so the reality in this room right now church that I want to acknowledge is many in here, many of us have experienced some form of sexual assault, sexual trauma. And I want to tell you, God sees you. He loves you. His, His heart breaks for you. He's with you. You're not alone. Not only is he with you, but he's provided people a community here as a church. He's gifted people, counselors and therapists around, around the world, specifically here in our city, who would love to listen, to talk, to perhaps begin the journey of healing. And uh, so 
as a as a church, if if um, a, an action step, if you are a woman and you want to specifically talk to a woman and other women and kind of begin that, you can. Um, our women's ministry has an Instagram page. You can send a direct message. Every couple weeks or so, the women's ministry sends out an email. You can respond to that. That goes directly to some women leaders within our church. Um, or you can email our church, you know, Tucson at redemptionaz.com. And we'll, and if you just say, I want to be connected to the women's ministry, we can, we'll just forward it along. And also though, I want to say I, as a pastor and the other pastors, um, would also love to talk with you. If you would want, if you, if that would be helpful, we would be honored to again, just enter in and come alongside you and, and to see what, what hope and, and help the Lord might have for, for you. The Lord does have for you. And again, men as well. Um, it's, it's, uh, the Lord calls us into his healing light. And uh, we're, we're, we're here to do that with and alongside each other. And a last thing I want to say is that um, this language of taken has been used. We'll see again in a few moments that that, that word is, is an abuse of power. Is is and it's we think of sexual assault as a in a dark alley by a stranger, and that's just not reality. Uh, in fact, um, only like ten percent uh, of sexual assault cases is with a stranger. Ninety percent is with someone there's a relationship with, and, and uh, so that can be in a dating relationship. That can be with friends. Uh, that can be in a marriage. There's a there's a an organization here in town that helps married couples walk through um, healing where there's been sexual assault within within the marriage. And 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 so some of us have experienced being taken. And 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 there's there's hope, and God does not condone that. And and on the on the other end of that, some of us in this room have participated in taking have been the aggressor, the offender. Um, God absolutely does not condone that, doesn't dismiss it. There's also hope. There's also a path for forgiveness, for healing. And uh, and, and I want to even say there, for some of us, this, we could talk later about this if you want. I believe even pornography on some level fits into this. Uh, as I've read and pressed into this, pornography is absolutely not a victimless activity. The industry is full of coercion, forced slavery, um, f- exploitation of, of p- poverty, of drug addiction. It's, it, is, it is absolutely full of victimization. And so even participating that on some level is, again, sexual brokenness. And um, we m- mentioned earlier, there's a conference in, in Phoenix on October 26th that all of Redemption Church is participating in. I want to invite and, in, and encourage us to show up in force, to do whatever it takes. The, the, it's called um, Sexual Wholeness um, Conference. And it's for, again, the whole broad spectrum of where we find ourselves is, I think every one of us on some level, sexually broken human beings, ourselves and or people we um, that we'll, we love and we, and then we're called to love and to walk alongside. So, um, I, we need to move on 
And I want to just say I'm sorry. I, it's hard to kind of drop a bomb and then move on. But uh, let's let's continue. In fact, let me pray for a minute. Um, and let's just kind of quietly even come before before God together, Lord. Um, Lord, we're quiet right now before you. Um, on behalf of ourselves, our loved ones, the people sitting to our left and our right and bef- in front of us and behind us, Lord, we don't know so often week in and week out as we walk up together as a community and take communion, Lord, what kind of um, sin and harm maybe we've done and committed or what kind of sin and harm has been committed against us. Um, Lord, thank you. That, that you are good enough and big enough to call us into the light, Lord, to deal with the, the trauma we've experienced and that we continue to carry and walk through in some ways. So I pray, Holy Spirit, will you care for us? Do, do a work in our hearts. Lord, work in us together corporately. Work in us individually. Lord, let, um, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Undo the powers of evil in this world that seem, seem so daunting. And, and, and it seems like, like the battle is, is being lost. But Lord Jesus, you are victorious. And, and I pray that even we get more and more of a taste of your, of your goodness, even throughout the rest of our time here together. So we invite you and ask you, Lord, to care for us, to shepherd us. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's continue in verse six here together. So in verse six, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So again, he got word, Bathsheba said, I'm pregnant. Sending word, this is, this is here's the facts. And so David, again, he's on his own. He's an individual. He's just thinking on his own right now. And he's like, oh, quick, I have an idea. Good. Uh, send me Uriah. And so this whole section, he says, send me Uriah, the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So Joab is the commander of the military. And he sends Uriah to David. And David has this genius plan, right? Can't fail. Oh, I know. If I just do this one thing, it'll, it'll all go away. I just, I just, I slipped up. I messed up. I just need to do this one little thing and it'll, it'll make it all better. And so what does he do? He calls Uriah and his whole plan is, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to bring Uriah. I'm going to get him fattened up. He's going to be happy and his wife is going to be here and he won't be able to help himself, right? He's expecting where he's at. He's expecting Uriah to be in the same place that David has been, right? That picture we saw lounging around, just, just, just feeding himself and his desires. And, and yet Uriah doesn't play along. By the way, the fact that it keeps saying Uriah the Hittite, I think there's an important narrative that, that, that someone who's not even an Israelite by birth, not even Hebrew and Jewish is faithful. And yet the king of God's people, the king of the Israelites is unfaithful in contrast. So Uriah is not faithful, or is faithful, but he doesn't play along with David's plan. So he 
he actually sleeps with all the other servants. And David is confused about it. He's like, why are you doing this? And he says, uh, how am I going to do what, what how am I going to go and lay with my wife? And again, there's likely a, 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 a religious purity that he's honoring here. Because again, military is a, is a, is a, is a religious, worshipful uh, act. Activity. And so he's like, I'm not going to go and do that. And so he's, he's, he has a, 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 a worshipful posture. And David's like, okay, okay. You know, what, probably like, yeah, 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 you're right. But just kind of moving on. So what does he do? He gets him drunk. Right, So, oh, he'll lose his inhibitions. He'll be so drunk, he'll go and sleep with his wife. But we see actually that um, though he got drunk, your drunk Uriah is more faithful than sober David. And, and I believe the author intentionally puts that before our face. So now, what does David have to do? He's got he's to figure it out on the fly, right? Oh, no, my plan's not working. What do I do? I'll, I'll go and do something else. So he's like, okay. He writes a note to Joab, the commander of the military, gives it to Uriah to now carry his own death sentence to bring it back to Joab and to say, here, here's a note from the king. It's been sealed by him. I wouldn't dare open it or read it here, not knowing, right, that his own death sentence is in there. And so Joab opens it and reads it. And David basically says, do whatever it takes to make sure Uriah dies. So he puts Uriah, so Joab puts Uriah in the front of the fighting where it's the worst, but Joab is a bad dude. And he's, again, not playing along. He doesn't die. So Joab is like, King David was very clear at whatever it takes. Right? He doesn't even know that he's like covering up his sin, his king's sin. But he's like, whatever it takes. Okay, I need to honor the king. So he basically brings on this terrible military strategy and sends all the army up, right up at, below the, the walls, right where the archers can shoot down and, and kill, and, and, and so tons of Israelite soldiers, fathers, sons, children, we don't know their names, die. And Joab knows the king should be really upset when he gets this news. He should be. Jo- Joab, right, is likely so upset. So he tells the messenger, go back and tell the king what's happened. And when he gets really mad, right, assuming he's going to get mad, tell him uh, Uriah the Hittite also died, right? When, when, he, when it finally settles on him that all these other children and fathers and sons and brothers have died for no good reason, tell him at least his plan worked and Uriah died. So the messenger goes and likely has a, has a posture of, of a, a heaviness, a sadness. King David, all these, all these soldiers died, but Uriah also died. And look here, if you, in verse 25, David uh, just shows again how blind he is. David said to the messenger, thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. David thinks he's playing the part of the cool, unanxious king. He's a comforter. Oh, comfort Joab. 
Just a couple chapters ago, David was indignant. He had righteous anger when people were, 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 were senselessly killing other people, including David's enemies, people that were trying to kill people thought they were doing a good thing and and they and, and they and they killed David's enemies and David got so mad and he held them accountable for it. And so right they're assuming but now in just a couple chapters later this slippery slope of unrighteousness takes place and David pretends like he cares and he's comforting. But he's actually just comforting himself. Oh, comfort him. Tell him, hey, it happens, right? Let bygones be bygones, right? People die. No, David, you killed Uriah and many, many more. Is the mic working? Can you guys see some? Thank you, MJ. You're working hard here. I might be getting a handheld here, um, which is not my favorite, but hey, we'll do it, right? We'll do what has to happen. So how did we get here? How did David get here? This is madness, right? Go comfort Joab. He, he's, he must be devastated. Go comfort him, right? David's like delusional right now. He's like the Walter White of the ancient Near East. Some of you don't know the name Walter White. All right. Thank you, MJ. Hey, let's thank the AV team for, yeah, thank you. MJ isn't even on AV this time. And I don't know. It's going out. All right. I'm doing it. Kicking it old school. So um, is this one out too? Okay. So even um, if you don't know Walter White, there's a show, and um, you're probably not going to watch it at this point if you haven't yet, but there's a show called Breaking Bad. And, and in short, a chemistry teacher, a high school chemistry teacher. They kind of intentionally build, bill him as a little bit like frumpy, kind of easily picked on and kind of rolled over, but he's a genius. Well, he's diagnosed with cancer, and uh, you learn later he's got incredible pride, and in, in, in it's unwise, but he, uh, he, 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 he has to pay these massive medical bills, and he doesn't want his family to suffer, and so he, you know, being a good chemistry teacher learns how to cook meth and it turns out he's such a genius that he cooks like really really good meth and so he starts making lots and lots of money and I didn't watch it for like the first 10 years it came out because some of you know my story my family has been massively impacted by that specific drug of meth and but I did watch it actually while on sabbatical and I'm glad I did it actually really was healing in some ways thank you for sabbatical so Pick with a story. Focus on the right part. So eventually, the whole series, I don't know how many, how many uh, of the seasons there are, five or eight, whatever. But um, he goes down this slippery slope of this like well-meaning, good, next-door neighbor kind of guy, high school chemistry teacher who's cooking meth in order to pay for his medical bills, all of a sudden starts like murdering and, and just he becomes delusional. And it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't take long. It, let that serve as a warning for all of us. Again, when power is abused, when God is not king, power is abused and people suffer. But we're blind to it. 
And David is blind to it. He doesn't even see until God steps in. So pick up with me now in chapter 12. Let me read chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord sent, there's that word again, sent, right? God sends. David sent for selfish gain, but the true king, God, sends one of his prophets, Nathan, to bring about justice, to bring sin into the light. God, the Lord, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And that word took. He took the lamb. The man, the lamb, no one had a choice. This rich man abuses his power and takes. And David is livid. He hears the story. He gets up. I think there's another picture here, right, of this confrontation here. David is so livid. He's upset. And he's, he's like, how could this happen? Off with his head. Kill the man, right? He's like the queen in Alice in Wonderland. He's just, he's so blinded by his own sin. And he actually, he, 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 he calls for capital punishment for a crime that, like, it's, you're not supposed to take your neighbor's animal, but that's not a capital crime, even in this time. But David is so blind by it, by his own sin, he sees this. Now, also let me say that this is not so uncommon. You might be like, is he that dumb? Like, that's his story. How did this happen? Well, no, in that time, this would, I do believe he's blinded by his own sin, all right, which we should all take to heart. But this is this would actually happen. This would be a fairly common occurrence where the king also serves as the judge. And cases, if they couldn't be figured out at the lower courts, would come before the king and he would decide what would happen. So he thinks that's what's happening here. And so he hears this story and he says, kill that man. Let me also acknowledge there, there's a massive level of self-righteousness going on here. And I want to warn us, because maybe even now, many of us are thinking back to, oh, yeah, David, he's the worst. He does this. And some of us are, are carry more of a, of, a, of a self-righteous posture. We have rules for our home. We're like the Pharisees in Jesus' time where, 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 where God says this is what it looks like, that the, the whole heart of the law is to glorify God and love your neighbor. But there's like, well, I'm going to add a little bit to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is, and I could start naming some things, right? And this hits home for us. It could be, you know, you name it, right? Homeschool, uh, alcohol, certain types of mus- movies or music or whatever it is, right? It's like I, whatever it is that I don't do and that I choose not to do, everyone else who does that is, is just in the wrong, Okay, it's, and there's a level of self-righteousness, and I believe that that is directly connected to blindness to our own sin. That in my experience, pretty much every time 
there's a person who's built up a wall of self-righteousness. That doesn't mean obedience to God is not good and important. But when it's not by grace, by God's undeserved favor, through his help, I seek to love God and love my neighbor. And there's a posture of humility. Yes, boldness and courage, but humility and love. When a wall has been built up of self-righteousness, behind it is a massive pile of sin, of fear, of shame. So David's not only the abuser, I believe he's also a picture of us, a picture for us of the self-righteous. But then Nathan, this prophet, likely taking his own life in his hands. In verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Sin is so often taking on our own what God has already given. It's like you've taken and you've taken and you've taken and you've abused. You're the man, David. We all need in our lives people like Nathan. We all need to be in places where we can receive. You have blind spots. And I love you too much to ignore them and to not speak into them. And we also all, in some cases, if we're healthily living in community, we need to be Nathans. We need to see, each other, see people. And again, Nathan could have, again, like we've seen, David's not beyond killing someone who gets in his way. But Nathan faithfully confronts him. How do we feel about David right now? Right? Don't name your kid after don't name your kid David, right? Uh-oh, what do I do with that? Right? Thankfully, we don't just name our kids after people who are perfect because Jesus is the only option. But in the next chapter, let me kind of land the plane for us. I'm going to throw out a, there's a lot more here to go on. In the next chapter, David's referred to as a man after God's own heart. What? Right? I spent 25 minutes talking about David's terrible sin. How is he a man after God's own heart? He's an abuser. He's despicable. He's a liar. He's self-righteous. He's, he's a narcissist. How is he a man after God's own heart? How was Saul not, but David is? Right, We spent a couple months looking at Saul. Saul was proud, arrogant abused his power for selfish gain. As we press in a little deeper here, David is proud, arrogant, abuses his power for selfish gain. But when he's confronted, Saul stiffens his neck, hardens his heart, and resists, and digs his heels in, and slides faster and faster down the slippery slope of self-destruction, of abusing power and harming others. When David's confronted, he says in uh, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord, and Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. The only thing that separates David is that he recognized 
I have sinned against the Lord. He humbles himself and he comes back. I said a couple weeks ago, his best days, I think, are behind him already. When he was struggling, when he was hiding out in the caves, when he didn't have money or wealth or power or, or armies, those were his best days. His life doesn't end well. But even in the New Testament, he's referred to as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he recognizes that his only hope is that God is king. And when God opens his eyes, he confesses, I've sinned against the true king. So church, as I close right now, as we pray, I want to acknowledge that in our culture, our tendency, seemingly the only options are to dismiss and look the other way when when, when power has been misused and, and abuse has taken place, we try to cover it up, we try to justify it. Or we say there's no hope, there's no path. One strike and you're out, you're canceled. And so we all live with this posture of, again, judgment and fear and shame. I hope I don't get find that, found out. I hope that Facebook post from 2011 doesn't get, like, let me go back and delete this and delete that, and we live in that. But hear me, church, right now, what I want us to leave with is this. The truth is, when God is not king for any of us, we all have power as parents, as friends, as there's always someone that we have more power over. So for all of us, when God is not king, power is abused and people suffer. But God paves a way for those who have been harmed to be healed and for those who have harmed others to be forgiven. And he does it by taking on the pain and the punishment of sin. So let's pray and respond together. Lord, um, we need you. It is a heavy room. Um, we've covered a lot, and um, a, lot, a lot has been said. But Lord, only you know what we need to hear and how we need to respond so again, we, we pray that individually and corporately, you will lead us now to respond to the good news or that you have entered in and taken on our pain. You stand with us. Lord, you, you seek to, to bring that on yourself or to take death and to give life in return. And Lord, you have also taken on the punishment so that through you, we can have forgiveness and life and hope. Amen.